Welcome everyone to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I'm Dr. Christine Schaffner, and today I am sharing my recent webinar on Lyme innovations. I decided I'd like to share this with all the podcast listeners and hope that you can learn something new. My hope uh, from this webinar is to share some of my latest insights and explorations with my patient care. And we are also getting really excited. We have an upcoming one-day workshop on January 30th. It's a Lyme intensive where I've invited some of my mentors and colleagues, and we're going to be walking through some of the latest treatments and insights in the treatment of Lyme disease. So we have Dr. Kent Holtorf, who's going to be talking about peptides. We have Dr. Joe Carnahan, who's talking about mast cell activation syndrome. Um, Also, Dr. Matt Cook, who's going to be talking about post-COVID as well as Lyme and some of his innovative treatments. Dr. Summer Beatty um, in treating Lyme patients with regenerative medicine. We also have Dr. Marco Ruggiero, who's going to be talking about some of his latest innovations to help Lyme patients and everyone really sleep better and help the brain detoxify. Um, And then we have some sub-sponsors. We have BioPure, which is a botanical company that I have been working with for many years who um, they make very wonderful, high quality liposomal products and suppositories and binders and all sorts of things to support uh, treatment protocols uh, for patients with Lyme. We also have Weber Medical who specializes in photodynamic therapy and they have um, wonderful lasers as well as home tools to use. And then also Wave One and Free Medica and they are really innovating uh, frequency medicine in the treatment of Lyme disease. So this was a really um, exciting project for me to put together. I'm so proud of the group that came together and we're really hoping uh, you gain a lot from this. So if you're interested, please check out the link in the show notes and please enjoy the webinar. Well, thank you so much. And thank you everyone who has joined us live on Friday afternoon, wherever you are in the world. I'm excited to share this information and to connect with everybody. I hope everyone's doing well. My goal for today is I'm going to go through some slides and then I am going to spend some time answering questions that come up. So I'll just watch the clock and make sure that we have time for questions as well. So welcome everyone. I really appreciate you all joining me live. We're having the sun shining in Seattle. It's a rarity this time of year, but I'll take it. It feels really good. I wanted to connect with the community today and just share some insights of the work that myself and the doctors I work with are doing. And then we're really excited. We put together a uh, one-day Lyme workshop on next Saturday. And so I just wanted to share some of the topics and go into them, you know, here as well today. And if, of course, you want to learn more or we're going to go over some resources too that you can learn more about. My goal today is not necessarily a Lyme disease 101, but more kind of solutions, some common themes and patterns that are coming up and some promising treatments from uh, where I stand. So I am going to walk through that. And so today we'll we'll just kind of go over Lyme basics, a framework that I've developed over the years and kind of a framework to approach uh, my patient care. It can apply, of course, to patients with Lyme. Many of my patients have Lyme and co-infections, but that's typically just one piece of the puzzle. We have to look at that in the context of the, you know, their whole system. And so I want to share that with you. Also, peptide therapies emerging, talking about mast cell activation, um, post-COVID and Lyme obviously is very relevant, botanical medicine, some regenerative medicine and Lyme ideas. Photodynamic therapy is a therapy that I continue to be very impressed and excited about. And then, of course, uh, frequency medicine. So we'll go over all of those topics and I will dive in. So many of you who are listening might already be um, struggling with persistent Lyme disease, might have a loved one, or might not quite understand yet how that could be a big component of why you have any chronic illness that you're struggling with. Um, and so when we talk about Lyme, you know, I typically when I'm using the word Lyme, I am also talking about not only Borrelia, but also uh, Borrelia plus co-infections. And we'll go over that. And you know, this is uh, from ILADS. Again, if there's any physicians or practitioners wanting to go into more depth medical training around treating Lyme disease, ILADS is a great organization. They have a great framework, a great understanding. They're going to be a little bit more uh, antibiotic focused, which is great. I mean, it's a time and a place for 
uh, those treatment strategies, but they give you a really solid understanding of of diagnosis um, and assessment. So again, uh, Borrelia burgdorferi can infect any organ or tissue and can produce a range of multisystemic symptoms. And so you look at this list. And so this is a common patient where there's, you know, I try to say, okay, what are the top five to 10 symptoms? And um, when I you know, go through a new patient history, it's, you know, head to toe from neurological symptoms to allergies, to cardiovascular symptoms, to uh, a lot of gut symptoms, pain, also mental emotional symptoms, um, insomnia. So there's a whole range of symptoms with um, the underlying cause of Lyme being a big driver for those symptoms. I loved how, you know, or how ILADS rather shared this quote that Lyme should be considered in differential diagnosis of rheumatological and neurological conditions, as well as chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, and any difficult to diagnose multi-system illness. And then I threw in there any autoimmune illness as well. So I do believe that most chronic illnesses from my framework are a combination of stealth pathogens uh, like Lyme, as well as um, environmental burden, of course, epigenetics, and then how, you know, our individual trauma history can also shape um, our health. And so, but I, I think this is a good overview on Lyme. And then this was interesting when I was just kind of revisiting the stats, I, I had known about this, but it was just interesting how this is positioned on the CDC. So we've often quoted their 300,000 cases of Lyme each year in the US. And so this is again, you know, again, these numbers take time to, you know, to look at. So this was from uh, 2010. And then recently, the CDC shared that um, on average, it looks like because of insurance records, about 476,000 Americans are diagnosed and treated for Lyme disease. And then they, the caveat, they say this number is likely an overestimate of actual infections because patients are sometimes treated presumptively in the medical practice. Regardless, this number indicates a large burden on healthcare system and the need for more effective prevention measures. So it's kind of this underhanded comment. But from my perspective, I'm like, okay, there's more awareness. And of course, from my perspective, I don't think this is over-reporting in any way. I still think this is under-reporting because when we think about all you know, the patients who don't get a proper diagnosis and have, you know, these different labels of, um, again, neurological illnesses, rheumatological illnesses, chronic fatigue, you know, and they're still not being, you know, categorized as somebody who is struggling with Lyme. But again, some progress in, um, you know, the, I've only been doing this a little over 10 years. And so for me, this is progress of, of acknowledgement that these numbers are in fact rising. And then again, I mentioned co-infections. You know, I find that the patients who tend to be most sick, it's not only Borrelia, but it's Borrelia plus co-infections that often create symptoms. And so there are, um, these are, again, just, you know, a few co-infections. There are more than these that I've listed, but we have anaplasma, Babesia, Ehrlichia, Bartonella. Babesia and Bartonella are often co-infections that I focus treatment on when I see somebody because they can create so many symptoms in people's bodies. So Babesia is more similar to malaria in that it's going to invade the red blood cell. A lot of patients who have Babesia can have night sweats, they can have anxiety, they can have constipation, they can be anemic, they can have air hunger or shortness of breath. And then Bartonella is another intracellular infection that also invades the red blood cells, but also the endothelial lining. So there's a lot of vascular inflammation underlying a Bartonella infection. And so uh, these are the POTS patients. Um, also the uh, mast cell patients can also have Bartonella infection. And so they also have the swollen uh, lymph nodes in their neck, and then they can have heart symptoms. I also see more neurological symptoms with Bartonella. And also they can have not only neurological symptoms, but also mental emotional symptoms from OCD to, you know, even uh, rage at times or, you know, depression, anxiety. So then I wanted to introduce this framework and we'll go through this. So any patient that I treat, again, this is a dynamic, it's a non-linear experience, but I try to map this out or the buckets I'm thinking about, and especially patients with Lyme. I think we have to, of course, be focused on the prevalence of Lyme and co-infections and how insidious they are in a lot of our, you know, in Americans' health and in global health, and that they're at the root of a lot of chronic conditions. Absolutely, you know, I'm I'm not denying that or um, suggesting we shouldn't focus on that. But I think from my perspective, when I see patients, they they often already know that they have Lyme and they've tried a lot of things. And so I'm trying to take a step back 
on how do we really recover their body. And it's usually not just looking at one bug in isolation, but we have to look at it through a systemic um, experience. I think, you know, with the pandemic, I think that's another opportunity to look at how we can look beyond just one bug and how um, that affects us, but how do we create more resilience within our bodies to withstand whatever um, stressors come our way. So with Darcy's help, she helped me come up with this framework. And so we'll kind of go through this and how this can apply to Lyme and Lyme, you know, current treatments. So we want to talk about environment and terrain support, energy system support, clearing the blocks, like often patients have interference fields, which we'll go over, and then optimizing flow and drainage. And so we call this approach eco. So when we talk about the environment and terrain, we, um, you know, I, I just recently in the fall did a uh, summit on beyond biological medicine, And a big goal of mine to get that summit and that information out there was to really share these concepts of bioregulatory medicine that really guide us in helping to heal a patient with chronic illness. And so one of the big, you know, factors uh, in bioregulatory medicine is this idea of the terrain. So how do we strengthen our individual terrain so that we are more resilient again to life stress? And that also um, that our terrain, if we can, and I'll go into what that means a little bit more how we can, you know, optimize our our terrain health that can also optimize our epigenetic expression. So getting the optimal expression of our own genetic blueprint. And then when we think about, you know, our own biological terrain, meaning what what that it, it includes, it includes our immune system. So the microbiomes in our body and all the things that go into our immune system how toxicants play a role, how trauma plays a role. And then again, what I call our ecosystem where Lyme fits into that, but it's like, how does our microbiome plus our environmental exposures affect the virulence or non-virulence of commensal bacteria, meaning bacteria that are often part of our microbiome? Different changes in our environmental exposures can lead them more to a virulent expression or a non-virulent expression. And that's the idea of pleomorphism. And then, of course, stealth pathogens, which I'm including Lyme in. So again, I've already kind of shared this idea. So the train um, medicine, um, it's the difference from germ theory. We're not just focusing on the, you know, germ. We're um, focusing on, you know, how do we optimize and clean up the environment of the organism so that they can be more resilient to life. And so I, I've been saying this often in my talks that Louis Pasteur on his deathbed, who was uh, the father of you know, germ theory and modern medicine, this is anecdotal, but a lot of people have come across this that he, he said the train is everything. So kind of in the face of his life's work, he kind of made a full circle. And then again, the train is this combination of our nutritional status, toxicity levels, our energetic balance, immune function, mental outlook and emotional well-being. So things that we can really feel empowered to address in our lives. Again, this idea of our ecosystem. So I, you know, I talk a lot about um, we have to look at Lyme in relationship to our um, our internal terrain and our own inner ecosystem. And why are some patients with the same exposures very sick while others are not? And so I kind of come into this, you know, perspective in this lens when I see um, patients. So the microbial ecosystem in and on our bodies is a complex universe of bacteria, fungi, protozoa, and viruses. And then the microbiome consists of both symbiotic and then also pathogenic microbiota that are supposed to coexist in harmony in our body. And then the more that we learn about the microbiome, we learn that all of these systems in our body have a microbiome. So we have a microbiome in our gut, we have a microbiome on our skin, our sinuses, our oral microbiome is hugely important to our health, our lungs brain has a microbiome. So Dr. Ruggiero um, taught me that the, you know, the brain has actually a microbiome and the breast, um, the breasts are, have a microbiome. Then they've seen changes in the microbiome in breast cancer patients and breast tissue. And then this is really a big perspective of mine is that a toxic terrain can lead to pathogenic microbiota overgrowing, becoming more virulent and leading to dysbiosis and disease. The dysbiotic microbiota can then increase toxicity of toxins and systemic absorption. So it's kind of this vicious cycle. So we get overloaded by environmental toxicants that affects our immune system to allow more opportunistic infections to thrive. And then because of that dysbiotic terrain, we actually absorb more toxicity. And then we can also make those exposures more toxic metabolites. So it's, you know, this vicious cycle. And then again, reminding us that we're not only bacteria, again, we're more 
more, more microbiome cells than human cells. And so with that, we know that there's the microbiome of bacteria in the body. And then we also have a virome. So again, the human body consists of 380 trillion viruses. So that's, you know, mind bending in my world. And then the, the viruses not only, you know, have all these regulatory effects with our DNA and epigenetics and our immune system, but they also regulate the microbiome. And then we also have a a mycobiome, which is the fungal microbiome. It's smaller in number than the microbiome in the virome, but um, especially um, in the gut, it does, you know, really affect the microbiome in the gut and can imbalances in the microbiome can result in conditions like IBD and colitis and ulcerative, ulcerative colitis, any inflammatory bowel disease. So that's, you know, when, okay, when I'm thinking of any patient that comes to my office, and then I'm, of course, thinking of Lyme patients, I'm thinking about Lyme in the context of their environment and in their terrain. How is Lyme able to take hold and create symptoms? And how do we return their, them to health, not only by giving them antimicrobial strategies, but also rebuilding their, their terrain? So then we have this energy system support. So this is, um, you know, this is a lot of layers and a lot of different ways that we can look at this, but really that the idea and the work that I've done um, learning so much about this, we we had the body electric and we're about to have the body electric 2.0 in February. And that was so fun to learn from so many more people, but it's this, you know, continual theme that, you know, we are beyond our biochemistry that we have this bioelectric, bioenergetic nature. And that is just as important to acknowledge and address and to heal, to regulate and balance our biochemistry. And so um, we look at where are their roadblocks in healing and how are roadblocks in our energy system and how we can address that so the body can uh, regulate and heal. So again, I just, I could talk um, all hour about each of these topics. So I'm just giving high level overviews again about this. So when we think about the body electric, so this is this idea that we are bioelectric, um, you know, electromagnetic beings. And again, I just like to bring in these principles of physics so it doesn't just feel like, you know, this random conversation about energy in the body. It's, you know, it's documented. So organs generate electrical currents that flow through tissues and then they, then, then therefore they generate magnetic fields both within and around the body. So any charged particles, so like an electron, a charge um, moving through a, a conductor, that's a current. So that basically charge and motion is a current. And through Ampere's law, excuse me, when a current is generated, an electrical current is generated, then a magnetic field surrounds that. And then on the other side, that magnetic fields can cause currents. So Again, if there's a magnetic field that can actually induce electron or electrical charge to flow in a uh, through a conductor in our system. That's why magnetic field therapy can work because it can induce current in the body. So this kind of again these principles, and again we can go all day along about these just two topics. But I just wanted to give you some you know, um, insights to think about. And then every living organism has different frequencies that make up a, a specific bioelectric magnetic fields, the organism's signature. So frequency is a unit of measurement of a cycle of energy through a unit of time. And so every everything that's, you know, on the planet, basically every living organism um, has a specific frequency. And one thing that I learned in the Body Electric 2.0, I um, interviewed Dr. Shudhari, and she has a book called Sound Medicine, and she has been able to delve into ancient Indian texts, and they even mapped out um, resonant sounds for each part of the human body, meaning that there's an optimal oscillation of um, frequency for every part of the body. And so when it's imbalanced, if we can introduce or give either sound therapy or light therapy or something on that frequency spectrum to add to the system to move it towards health and give it energy to heal. So it's just kind of this really exciting way to look at, you know, the realm of sound and light um, and vibration. So then there's also this term, there's this term heart brain coherence that I got to interview. He's on my podcast and also on the body electric 2.0, Dr. Roland McCready from HeartMath. And 
again, the heart has the strongest electromagnetic field in the body. We know that's another way to look at this electromagnetic nature in the body. So the heart generates this field. The brain we know has brain waves. It also generates a field, but the heart is more uh, way stronger. And then through the research and heart math and kind of how the heart is wired to the brain, both biochemically and physiologically. And then also we know that the a more coherent the heart rhythm heart rhythm is, which is a measure of you know of electromagnetic energy in the body, that that it coherence actually communicates to the brain and organizes, you know, our neurological functions. So heart coherence actually helps our brain, right? So I I just, I continue to digest that every time I think about it. So, you know, when we think about the body electric, we want to, again, optimize heart brain coherence. Many Lyme patients have, are, are highly energetically sensitive, right? And highly in tune. And a lot of Lyme patients have their, their heart is affected too. So we're, um, you know, looking at all sorts of things to create regulation in their heart rhythm, and that can actually help them heal their brain as well. So again, another point in the body electric idea, and then the term biofield, um, that is something that Dr. Beverly Rubick um, really brought to PubMed in the 1990s. And it's this descriptive field of energy and information that basically surrounds the human body and helps to not, um, it, it's not only exists, but it, and is measurable, but it also regulates um, our physical body. So again, when we think about energy systems, I just wanted to give you ideas. Okay, we have electrical currents, we have magnetic fields, we have frequency, we have the more coherent the field of energy from our heart is coming, the more organized and informed our brain is and the more health that we can have. And then again, we have this whole I think still pioneer science of exploring the biofield and how we can find out blockages in the biofield. And then if we can help to create more coherence in the biofield, then that translates to health. And I, I have Eileen McCusick again on my um, Body Electric 2.0, and she has this whole system um, of sound medicine using um, tuning forks called biofield tuning. Um, I think she just came out with a new book too, um, if you're interested in going deeper in all of these topics. So again, when we think about this part of the framework, you know, most patients, you know, with Lyme or any chronic illness, you know, we, we talk not only about, of course, all the nutritional therapy and all the things that they need, but also energy hygiene, right? So to me, that means grounding can be a very easily accessible therapy everybody can have access to. So, um, you know, again, getting in contact with the earth um, for you know, five to 10 minutes a day, bare feet, um, creating a safe sleeping location. So acknowledging EMF in our environment and, you know, doing your best to create a safe sleeping location with a minimal EMF. So no Wi-Fi, especially at night, uh, cleaning up dirty electricity and understanding potentially the magnetic or RF exposure in the bedroom. But if you can at least turn off your Wi-Fi at night, don't bring in your electronics. And then if you need to go deeper, you can measure dirty electricity or have somebody, you know, either you do it yourself or have a, a coach kind of really walk you through, you know, what are the, what are the RF exposure, magnetic field exposure that they can measure and then find remediation, you know, tools to help mitigate that as best as possible. I also think in energy hygiene, circadian lighting is important. So that's this idea of, you know, we're overexposed to blue light um, with our EMF um, exposure and with all the devices. And so having appropriate kind of uh, signals of light that mimic the, the day. So we need blue light in the morning and then you know, as we go into nighttime, we need more the red and the amber lights. That's something I, I have to work. And when I put my daughter to bed, I'm often, you know, answering email and writing PowerPoints and all sorts of things. But one thing that has helped me a lot is that I have red light in my office and I use a computer screen that takes out the blue light. There's also blue blocking glasses if you don't want to do those but those have been really helpful for me. You know, tapping is another great resource. Julie Schiffman, please check out her website. She does, um, has a lot of free uh, videos around tapping and that can also really help to balance energy. And then sound therapy, I mentioned this a couple of times. It's a, a, an area I'm super excited about. Nikki Gratrix, she's on the Body Electric 2.0. She has some free meditations, sound medicine by Dr. Shahari, and then biofield tuning. 
um, go to sound bath or, you know, do one virtually. Um, Susie Lee has done some sound baths for our community. And um, it's just a really amazingly powerful experience to ground and to clear energy and to feel um, extremely relaxed. And then Again, these are tools in the toolkit that I would use to approach a patient with Lyme if they were in the office. So um, we were doing neurotherapy training for my team this morning. So neurotherapy is an injection technique that we can use for scars. We can balance more the electrical system in the body with neurotherapy injections. We can also use them for segmental treatment to help move lymph and help with circulation. Acupuncture works with the meridian system. That's an energetic system in the body. Dr. Garcia, he's um, in the Body Electric 2.0 as well. He uses magnets, paired magnet therapy. I've been using more and getting some positive shifts in patients. Color puncture is something I um, need to study more, but I I love um, this work by Dr. Peter Mandel and Rosemary Bourne. And they're both on the Body Electric 2.0, but that's using a light um, and biophotons with acupuncture. Photobiomodulation, again, more and more accessible home tools um, with the red light therapy. Um, you know, infrared light therapy, PEMP, they're more accessible and affordable PEMP tools, heart math, again, creating more heart brain coherence with heart math. Sound of soul is a technique that I have at the office that that uh, Rasmus Berghausen from Austria developed, and he's uh, was in Beyond Biological Medicine, and he's also in um, Body Electric 2.0, but it used, takes your heart rate variability and converts it to music and then plays it back to you. So it's profoundly beautiful. And it's, yeah, a really wonderful healing tool. A biofield tuning I mentioned, neurofeedback. Barry Bruder um, is on the summit and he has the IASIS um, equipment. Also, there's Clear Mind Center. Um, They have a great one. While, you know, just finding what works for you. There's so many technologies out there. I've been using the AO scan more in practice as another um, assessment tool and also um, frequency tool. Uh, this is technology that came out of Russia and it's it's wildly accurate. It's been a lot of fun to you know integrate into my um, work. So we had environment and, and terrain, we had um, energy system support, and now this is you know clearing the blocks. This is really the idea of uh, identifying removing interference fields that really comes out of bioregulatory medicine. And so really, you know, when I think about my goal as a doctor is that I'm trying to identify roadblocks that prevent and interfere with the body's ability to self-regulate and that health is regulation, resilience. It's always trying to adapt to life stressors. So what is getting in the way? So this idea of an interference field, this is again, comes from uh, German biological medicine and neural therapy that there can be an area, uh, basically either it's a focal infection or an interference field. Those names are used interchangeably. Uh, it's an area of local tissue irritation that can be very disruptive to the communication to the nervous system, and that it can also be more prone to toxin accumulation. The example here is a C-section scar. Again, that's often a traumatic event and not only can affect the lymphatic drainage, the circulation, it can hold emotional trauma, um, and it can affect uh, the nervous system because of the um, cells in that uh, scar can be depolarized and not as stable. And so by doing an injection often with procaine, that can help to break down the scar tissue, uh, release the trauma, um, and then also create more movement. So then that the extremities can have more blood flow circulation and, and, and heal. So again, interference fields are huge. They are often um, scars. They're often, um, they can be often focal infections in the mouth, tonsils, uh, the sinuses. Um, So that's a big one. And then a big part of, you know, any, you know, protocol we want to, of course, and this is where my naturopathic, you know, roots are that we want to optimize flow and drainage, meaning that we want to support the organs of elimination. So that's going to be the gut, you know, the liver, the kidneys, the lungs, the skin, you know, the lymphatics and extracellular matrix are a huge component to recovering a Lyme patient. If you just take one pearl from today, um, and if you're struggling with Lyme, um, make sure that you have lymphatic drainage support um, in your protocol. That can be some of the most powerful work that you can do to recover. I find that a lot of patients also have stagnant bile. So improving bile flow can be very helpful for elimination and also um, changing the terrain in the GI tract. And then binders are, uh, you know, really, they are foundational to all of our treatments because they can help bind anything that's coming out of the bile, not only uh, normal metabolic waste, but also 
you know, uh, mycotoxins, heavy metals, all of those things, biotoxins of any kind. So kind of in this section, I just wanted to make sure, you know, I just spend a moment on the lymphatic system because I think it's so important and still very often overlooked. And so again, just a brief overview of the lymphatic system. So it's interconnected with our circulatory system. So as blood, oxygen uh, rich blood pumps out of our heart, goes through our arteries, and then it makes its way to these you know, capillary spaces where basically this oxygen-rich uh, blood um, uh, becomes, you know, poor oxygen blood and then returns it to the heart. But in this capillary space, um, fluid leaves the circulatory system and returns, but the fluid that doesn't uh, leave is called interstitial fluid. And that um, bathes our extracellular matrix. And then it basically drains into the lymphatic system. And then the lymphatic system um, carries that back to the heart, but it makes its way through uh, nodes and different organs to expose our body to waste that needs to be removed and also um, potentially pathogens like Lyme that there needs to be a, a response to. So that's just, again, really high level overview. And then this is kind of what's happening in the tissue space. So you know, the interstitial fluid is leaving the capillaries. It's moving through this extracellular matrix, which is full of collagen and proteoglycans and mast cells and fibroblasts and immune cells. And then that gets drained into the lymph system. So a big part of keeping the system healthy and turning out the cell danger response and making sure that um, cells can communicate well is draining this fluid properly. So it's not building up with waste. And so you know, essentially, this is, you know, sharing what, you know, gets moved out of the arteries, what uh, returns to the blood's blood, uh, but also what leaves and gets um, processed via the lymphatic system. So lymphatic treatments, you know, many of you are know about this, but movement, breathing, the movement of the thoracic um, cavity can pump the lymph in the thoracic duct and the right lymphatic duct so it can get back to the circulation, hydration, dry skin brushing, casserole packs, contrast hydrotherapy. There's also scar therapy, um, you know, making sure that there's no um, dental stress that can be poisoning the lymphatics like uh, cavitation, incline sleeping. Um, the Samina bed company makes an incline bed or you could prop your bed up so that the lymphatic system drain can drain at night. Lymphatic drainage massage, rebounding, the vibration plates, infrared sauna, Again, photobiomodulation, red light therapy, infrared can um, help greatly. Neural therapy, we do a lot of patterns to help the lymph. And of course, there's a host of drainage products from Pacana and Physica and Unda and the drainage remedies. And then of course, herbs uh, like uh, red root and cleavers and nettles and so forth. These are some favorites. So BioPure has a nighttime deodorant that you can apply topically that you can put on your neck, your collarbone. You can put it also kind of in the bikini line where there's groups of lymph nodes and then also the bottoms of the feet. And then they also have a breast deodorant if you have a lot of breast um, symptoms, so fibrocystic breasts or fibroadenomas, that, that's kind of a window into your lymphatic system that your lymph needs to move. We have a flow cream that also now has CBD that has been really a game changer for a lot of our patients to really open up the cervical lymph nodes to help the brain drain. And also with the CBD, it can help with pain. I formulated this oil called Lymphogem Lymph Oil that has, it's an oil infusion and it has red root, calendula, nettles, cleavers, and red clover, plus three essential oils. It has frankincense, geranium, and heliochrysum. So that's just like a nice daily kind of roller that you can put on different areas to help lymph. For any practitioner out there, this is a wonderful um, tool that I've gotten to know. My friend Kelly Kennedy shared this with me. It's called the Flopresso. So it's a great tool to help compress the lymph, but it also um, has infrared and PEMF. And so it helps to really get um, patients in this really deep, relaxed state. Um, anyone who goes in there usually is in an altered state. They're so relaxed. And then it really helps to move the lymph and improve circulation and flow and of course exclusions on water in the body with the infrared. So that is something to check out that everyone's been loving. So switching gears. So we just went through this kind of framework. I just wanted to share, you know, so if, um, the hardest part I think with Lyme disease is that there are so many uh, tools and it can become very overwhelming very quickly for not only yourself, but your, your family, your caregivers of like how to prioritize and how to move forward to get you your health recovered. And so this framework kind of gives you some buckets to really understand. 
it's very rare that just one thing alone will help somebody recover from chronic Lyme disease. So that I, I just, I'm, I'm totally open to it. I just don't see that as often. So I, you know, we have to think about, okay, not only the Lyme, but the Lyme in the context of the individual environment and terrain. We have to think about the energy body and the energetic nature of our system. Um, we have to make sure that there are no interference fields. A lot of my patients have either root canals or um, silver filling still or wisdom teeth that need to be um, the cavitation area that needs to be cleaned up or, you know, any of those combination of things. And then you know, we really need to get the system flowing and draining, getting the lymphatic system flowing, supporting the organ elimination. You have to have really good drainage and detoxification practices behind any Lyme treatment that you do. So now I'm going into kind of some um, kind of um, insights into solutions. You know, I, I'm really quite um, honored and pleased uh, with the group that is coming together next Saturday um, to really share um, their insights and clinical practice. So I asked some community members to uh, be speakers because, you know, the people who treat Lyme every day we're always learning. We're always learning from our patients. We're always learning what works, what doesn't. And, you know, we're all really passionate on how do we um, get more elegant and better to help accelerate our patients' healing because it's heartbreaking to all of us. People are sick for too long and it's expensive and it's, you know, it's just this journey that takes too much time for everyone. So my hope, especially in my work and my career is like, how can we really just really shorten the time from proper diagnosis to treatment. And then once people are in treatment, how do we make that treatment hyper-focused and specialized to help people really gain the momentum that we want? Dr. Ken Holtorf is going to be talking. This is his abstract for his talk. He just put on a wonderful peptide summit and I've learned a lot about peptides. That's one of the most fun things that I'm doing in practice right now. Um, it does come with, um, unfortunately, some restrictions. If you live in California, you cannot get a lot of the peptides that we all want for you. But he is partnered with integrated peptides, which are oral capsules that it can be sold as a supplement, as a workaround. But the injectable and nasal sprays, the compound um, pharmacies can't ship. So again, this is you know what he's going to be talking about, and uh, he he's very open. He had Lyme himself, and he really um, really was quite ill, and he recovered himself. So he's just going to be going through the whole gamut of why this illness is so hard to treat and how many symptoms are. are systems are affected. And then he's going to talk about, you know, strategies, of course, peptides. And then one thing that I really am excited for him to talk about is this immune activation of coagulation and hypercoagulability, something I continually learn, but, you know, Lyme patients tend to have thicker blood, stickier blood. And then he talks about why that is, and then some therapies and treatments. So we're going to go through that. Peptides, again, I've learned a lot from Dr. Holtworth. Um, so peptide therapy, hopefully many of you have heard of it or asking your doctors about it, finding it. So peptides are naturally occurring short chains of amino acids. So they're sequences that are left in less than 50 amino acids in length. If they're longer, they're called a protein. And they help to, they're not so lock and key like a hormone. They're more like a cell surface signaling molecule that then tells the cell to do certain things. They're very fast acting and they're very safe. Um, they're also called master regulator, regulators in the body. They have a huge regulatory function. You know, I, of course, see the 1% of patients who are sensitive. So I'm not going to say that there are no reactions, but there are very minimal side effects. Um, the ones that I have been using a lot in my practice are BPC and thymus and alpha one. They seem to be a really good combination for Lyme patients. There's a whole list of other ones for, that are nootropic. You know, the Cerebropep I have on my desk right now, this helps me um, think even better, but this has a a lot of great research on dementia, Alzheimer's, and then also ADHD. So there's the nootropic ones, there's the immune modulatory ones, the healing ones. There's a whole suite for sleep. So this is a really exciting world. I use thymosin alpha in COVID prevention and treatment with great success as well. So, um, so Dr. Holtorf is going to be talking about, you know, mechanisms and then treatments. And then mast cell activation um, is definitely become more widespread, more well-known. Um, and Dr. Jill Carnahan is going to be on the Lyme intensive. And so I see, you know, 
when I just, the, again, the 10 years that I've been doing this, I've seen an increase in sensitivity in many of the patients. So there used to be a very small amount of sensitive patients. And now there's, you know, a majority uh, or a large per, um, percentage of my patients are in this realm of being sensitive. And so the language that we have continued to fine tune around the sensitivity is around these mast cells, um, you know, being uh, essentially more easily triggered and overreacting to create um, release histamine and other inflammatory mediators that create a whole host of symptoms in the body. Um, but again, from a naturopathic perspective, it's like, okay, why is this, why does this happen in the system? And what is the underlying cause? And if you saw that picture of the extracellular matrix, mast cells hang out in the extracellular matrix. And so that's also the site of toxicity and the site that Lyme, so Borrelia can activate mast cells, mold, um, inflammatory markers for um, um, inflammation secondary to mold can um, derail that a space. Uh, parasites can also as well. So we think of, okay, what's underlying that sensitivity and that activation, but to really help patients feel better, it's coming up with a combination of mast cell tools to stabilize them so they can endure treatment and tolerate treatment more. So Dr. Carnahan's going to go in more depth and she has a lot of great um, information on her website. This is actually from her blog article. She did a great job. So these are, you know, we, we all are pretty familiar with the skin related symptoms, but also the GI symptoms cardiovascular symptoms like the POTS um, presentation, I believe is related to mast cells, um, of course, respiratory, and then brain fog, right? Our brain related, so brain fog, headaches, anxiety, the, the sleeplessness, a lot of the neuroinflammation, uh, neuropathic pain can also be mast cell. So Dr. Kernahan is going to be speaking with that. And again, um, she has a ton of free information on her website around this as well. So this is an interesting, um, you know, conversation. And this is, again, something that we're all learning, but the relationship between post-COVID and Lyme and then the, the patients with Lyme who get post-COVID. Um, so again, my hope, though, that if there's this language now in our society that there can be a post-infectious disease that derails the immune system that makes me both sick. And so I'm hoping that this will only increase awareness, not only of that, but also what people with Lyme are going through. So these are the long haulers, the long COVID, um, and then it's typically this post-acute COVID. It can be beyond three weeks from the onset of the first symptoms, and it can even extend beyond 12 weeks. And um, there's a lot of, you know, basically people feel, again, really quite ill, very fatigued, very short of breath. They can also have clotting um, complications. There can also be uh, um, insomnia and, of course, the... Um, the trauma of it all. This is a good um, overview of symptoms. Um, so coughing, um, ongoing debilitating fatigue, body aches, joint pain, shortness of breath, loss of taste and smell, difficulty sleeping, headaches and brain fog. And then these are some, you know, theories behind it. So it's just this idea where viruses may be hiding and they can come out at different times and reactivate the immune system. Um, there also can be the virus is gone, but left behind damage to major organs. Um, and then the virus is gone, but it has left immune um, system in dysregulation with this uh, reoccurring overinflammation. I think it's probably a combination of it all, but I definitely see this immune dysregulation piece. And then they there's a paper here, post-COVID syndrome associated with orthostatic cerebral hyperperfusion syndrome, small fiber neuropathy, and they benefit from immunotherapy case study. So and then they have here that this was, they, they mentioned, you know, the post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome in COVID and how they both can respond to IgG or intravenous immunoglobulin. So I think that's, um, you know, interesting that, you know, here we are now acknowledging and learning from post-Lyme, which I think is, of course, extremely important. Symptoms that I, or um, things that I'm going to be, or that I have used in patients are you know, different types of immunotherapy, hyperbaric oxygen. There's a kind of this um, trinity, as Dr. Marie calls it, of three peptides that really help for post-COVID. So thymosin alpha-1, thymosin beta-4, BPC-157. I've been using ivermectin more as well. And then Dr. Matt Cook is going to be talking about post-COVID syndrome in relationship to Lyme disease. Um, he's a wonderful doctor. He's an anesthesiologist who um, became very interested in this community and does a lot of specialized therapy from ozone dialysis to um, regenerative medicine, peptide therapy, ultrasound-guided ultrasound injections. So then many patients with Lyme 
have insomnia or really poor sleep. And that is just the chicken or the egg, right? So this poor sleep is a vicious cycle because we need the brain to sleep in order for the glymphatic system to be effectively uh, working in order for that to be um, the immune system to be the immune system to be as well equipped. And then also for the toxicity that in the brain that can make the brain more vulnerable to Lyme viruses, parasites, you know, for that to be working optimally, we need sleep. And so Dr. Marco Ruggiero is going to be talking about Lyme. And then he has a really exciting new product that I am collaborating with him to bring to market, which is a transdermal GABA cream that is very powerful for deepening sleep and also um, enhancing the ability to dream. Um, one of the things I see with a lot of Lyme patients is that there are these highly sensitive souls, these highly spiritual people, and during their illness, they become blocked from that connection. And it's frustrating, of course, in so many levels because, you know, they want to meditate, they want to be connected, but their illness really impairs that. And I also think part of it too is, you know, their their pineal gland can be affected because of, you know, all of the things that our pineal gland is affected by these days from aluminum, glyphosate, EMF, fluoride, and then they also don't dream as well. So I am excited for Marco to work um, with us to help, you know, bring a product that can um, be a different tool to help people not only sleep, but open up their connection and help them to dream. So Lyme can uh, cause neurotransmitter imbalances and lead to disrupted sleep. And then I just kind of mentioned all those things. Of course, we're big proponents of melatonin and melatonin is a great tool for sleep and brain detoxification. I asked Dr. Summer Beatty to talk as well, and she's going to be talking about regenerative therapies in Lyme. So she's been working with me for three or four years now, and she really is honed in on not only aesthetics, but also regenerative um, orthopedic and just regenerative medicine. And she has a lens of really working with a lot of Lyme patients. So there's this promise of regenerative therapies with stem cells and all of these exciting things. Um, but what we found in our Lyme community is that they have to be timed really well. And then also with more that we're learning around mast cell, that that in combination with mast cell treatments can increase people's tolerance to regenerative therapies. So let's say you have a, from Lyme, you have your knee becomes arthritic or um, there's degradation you know, in the joint. So we would approach it first by doing ozone injections before we do, um, you know, a regenerative technique like PRP or even prolotherapy. And so, you know, that is kind of the conversation she's going to be having in the uh, conference about, you know, how to use ozone and then also how, how to time and uh, support using platelet-rich plasma and exosomes, which are exciting, you know, and they're available. Um, they're these microRNA messengers to help uh, repair the body. Um, mesenchymal uh, cells or mesenchymal stem cells are available in the U.S. right now. Um, so she's going to talk about her ability um, to treat people with those and how that's timed and staged. Um, I'm going to be sharing a presentation, um, not only an intro to the day, but also botanical medicine in Lyme. And I'm, I've been uh, friendly with BioCure over the years, and they've been really great at putting products together that work, especially these liposomal remedies. So liposomal remedies are combined with phosphatidylcholine, and then they help to get better absorbed in the body and also get in, um, inside the cell or inside the brain or nervous system. So the cocktail has been a staple in Lyme protocols for a long time. And this is based on the work of Stephen Buner and Dr. Klinghart about what, you know, herbs tend to be really important for patients with Lyme and co-infections. So the phosphatidylcholine, artemisia, propolis, amycystis, stevia, cilantro, andrographis, smilax, Japanese knotweed, and red root. So we'll go in more in depth, but please check out um, any of Buner books, uh, any of the uh, Stephen Buner books are awesome about going into these herbs in more depth. And he's just a genius in understanding, um, you know, the terrain of Lyme disease. So this is a really exciting world for myself and my team. And we're just, you know, I feel like in some ways we're just getting started, but it's this idea of photodynamic therapy in Lyme. So Jennifer Mealy is going to be um, talking about this on uh, the one day intensive. She distributes Weber medical lasers. And so she uh, also has a clinic in Tijuana that, you know, specializes in chronic illness and cancer care. So again, some principles, the human body is wired to receive light. Um, so we have chromophores that are able to absorb specific wavelengths of light, which translates to color. And then the light tells the cell 
to do all sorts of things, um, you know, from altered chemical behavior, metabolism, genetic expression. So we've been working with this Weber laser over the year, and laser stands for light amplification, a stimulated emission of radiation. Um, and so lasers monochromatic, so it's a precise color and a coherent stream of photons. So this organized photonic energy um, that we can deliver into the body via acupuncture points transcranially, so into the brain, interstitially, meaning in the um, in the fashion, the interstitial, in the joints, interarticularly, um, IV, or we even have, I have the watch I was wearing today, so we can even wear the watch and I'm exposed to the radio pulse to light. So then the blood passing by the light absorbs um, this energy and can deliver it to the cells. And then there's um, different um, colors that do different things that I think I have a slide on. So this is what it looks like. Um, this is like an IV red light. So then red, green, blue, yellow, UV, and, and now the addition of infrared have different um, properties. And they've done studies. This is what I've loved about the Weber group. There's They, they uh, created a, a group also called the International Society of Laser Application, where they get groups of people together and they've done a lot of great research. So they've studied cancer, but also chronic illness and Lyme disease. So Red really helps with the microcirculation, ATP. Green helps with oxygen. Blue is antibacterial. So we use a lot of blue uh, to treat infections. Yellow is a great antidepressant and it helps to improve serotonin and vitamin D uh, production. And then UV, I mean, we've used UVBI for a long time, um, but now we can use intravenous UV light to help pathogen destruction um, and also um, you know, improve circulation and blood flow. So photodynamic therapy is the combination of light plus a photosensitizer to get an effect. So, you know, photosensitizers um, are given orally or intravenously. And this is something I continue to wrap my head around. So inflamed cells and cancer cells actually take up photosensitizers more readily. And then when you apply the laser, they um, do, you know, all sorts of things. So we're creating oxidative stress to um, usually this is um, used in cancer therapy or, you know, targeted um, infection therapy. And then, you know, not the variables in photodynamic therapy are the, the photosensitizer and then the color of light. Um, and then what are you trying to do in the body? So the depth of penetration in the tissues is d different lights, wavelengths of light can penetrate more deeply into different tissues. So if you're doing beyond IV therapy, if you're you know, injecting a joint or a tumor or, you know, what have you, um, you want to make sure you're matching your, um, your light uh, wavelength to the area that you want to direct in the body. So these are just some ideas of photosensitizers, you know, hypericin, riboflavin, that's, um, you know, vitamin B2, blue, poly and BA. And then um, these are the spectrum of different um, absorptions. So potentially I could give somebody riboflavin and then I could administer blue light. And that will not only give all the properties of blue light and all the properties of riboflavin, but the riboflavin will be taken in by cells that might have cancer or chronic infection. So when the blue light comes in contact with those cells, it mounts an even stronger antibacterial effect. Um, again, there's this home device of the watch and then there's the laser cap that um, has red and infrared so it can penetrate the bone. So um, we've been using that more and more. And then um, frequency medicine in Lyme. So I'm sorry, the sun, this is a great problem to have in Seattle, but I'm in the sun here. So frequency medicine um, is really, uh, you know, many patients with Lyme often combine, you know, it's a multi-modal um, approach. And so not only are we do all the things we talked about, but I find that when patients kind of land on a frequency device, it really works with them. You know, there are things like the amp coil and frequency-specific microcurrent. This is a um, picture of the WAVE device um, through Free Medica. I've been actually on their advisory committee lately where um, I'm um, putting together packages of frequencies with Dr. Keneally and Dr. Cass, and it's been so much fun. And so it's this idea, again, remember, everything has a frequency. So if we want to have an effect on the body, we can not only give a substance, but we can give, give the frequency signature via uh, this device to the body and the body can responds in the way that it got that information, just like you ingested it. So, um, so I think that's kind of what I want to say there. Okay. So I just wanted, oh, I was making it.
up to the minute, but I'm going to try to answer questions before I have to hop on to my 2.30. So this is our workshop. Again, I just feel so honored to have this group of people come together. Really, my goal for this is to just share, you know, what are people doing in practice, just so you all can have, um, you know, more insights, more things to approach your doctor about, um, learn kind of what's cutting edge right now. So Dr. Holtorf, Dr. Cook, Dr. Carnahan, Dr. Ruggiero, Dr. Beatty, and Jennifer, plus Lisa Holt. She's going to be um, talking about frequency medicine and Lyme disease. She's part of the WAVE team. And then um, my dear friend Katie um, has been part of our cleanses and our virtual programs. And when we do these retreat days, or she was part of the lung cleanse where she did breath work every day with patients or people She's gonna, you know, these um, conferences. I know it's a lot to dedicate a day and to be in front of the computer. So um, yoga is gonna be our midday break. So if you choose, you can do yoga um, during our break time with Katie. So that is what I've got. I hope that this was helpful. I know that I always try to pack a lot in, and I'm always over time. So Cheyenne is asking, what causes nausea, and how can we eliminate or minimize it? So nausea is typically when there's a lot of gallbladders. Stagnation. So when there's a lot of bile stagnation, um, people can have nausea. So we want to get bitters and bile flow, coffee enemas and carminative herbs to help. So Teresa is saying, I saw six doctors in three states over 10 years, and this is what stopped my Lyme disease and infections, Japanese knotweed. Uh, Teresa, I'm, I'm so sorry that you had that experience and you're not alone, right? And Japanese knotweed is such a powerful herb. I'm so glad that that helped you. So Grayson, glutathione question. Is there a specific SNP in those patients that don't tolerate liposomal glutathione? If a patient can't tolerate liposomal glutathione or low dose in the beginning, will they able be able to tolerate it? Great question. So we produce glutathione. Right, so we have it in our body, so it's not like you have a true allergy to it, but it doesn't work for you when you take it supplementally. So, one of the things I think about is molybdenum. Um, so, molybdenum can help you process glutathione. Also, do you have a history of mycotoxin exposure, or a lot of mercury, and you know, it could be what the glutathione is mobilizing. So, making sure that you're on good binders. Rosalie is asking, How do you find the scars from pre previous surgeries and how can you eliminate them? If you can't find a neural therapist, you can use them topically. So, or use topical treatments. So you can, um, we use the flow cream topically, um, wheat germ oils traditionally used in neurotherapy, also shea butter. And, you know, you can use that topically. Teresa is saying, Emerito Progest stops my fibrocystic breasts. That's great. And iodine deficiency can be part of that as well. Anna's asking about the Apollo device. Um, a lot of people are talking about it. I just don't have feedback yet, but I respect the people who brought that up and I'm totally open to that. It, it makes sense. And I think it could be a really great tool. How do the different PEMP waves compare? Sign versus square versus sawtooth is one better than the other. Is there a machine device you'd recommend? Kimberly, I don't know all of those details off the top of my head, but we actually have during the Body Electric 2.0, Dr. Pollock is going to talk all about PEMP and he is an affiliated with a company, but he also makes sure to understand and go through the science. So Dr. Pollock, P-A-W-L-U-K, um, check out his site. Do you know, are energy-saving halogen bulbs triggering for very EMF-sensitive patients? Halogen is better than LED for sure. Um, halogen and incandescent are the best. Kimberly's asking, is the thymus and alpha-1 spray as effective as the injection? injection? I've seen the injection be the most powerful, but again, get whatever you have access to. And same thing, Kimberly, with the BPC. The BPC, though, capsules can be really helpful for gut inflammation. And then Trace is giving us a, where are you sourcing the cerebrolysin? I'm sourcing it from integrative peptides who Dr. Holtorf works with. Philip is asking about colloidal silver in the treatment of Lyme and co-infections. I've seen that work very well. Um, again, it's timing. Um, there are there are protocols with Argentin 23 IVs, but again, that can't just be the, the standalone treatment. Marta is asking how to determine the difference between Lyme versus mold and can both be present. It's often both, honestly, but you often have to get have to get the person out of the mold and detox the mycotoxins to recover from the Lyme. And then Sonia's asking, can Lyme disease and co-infections trigger an autoimmune disease? Absolutely. There's a lot of evidence around that. Sally's asking about biofilm. I use a lot of enzymes for biofilm. There's a product called Kirkman Biofilm Defense that I, I really like. Also Neprinol, um, Baluki, Wobenzyme. And then Rita's daughter is experiencing 
dots in her vision, not floaters? Can it be Bartonella and what can I do? You know, there can be a lot of biotoxin circulation in the retinal circulation that can affect the visual fields. And so, you know, really supporting the liver, doing good binders. Um, and then Bartonella, if it's that, um, you know, there's some herbal approaches. Buner has some great books, but the cocktail is a great herbal support. Mart is asking how heartbreak coherence is improved. Check out HeartMath, but it's really, uh, it's for a complex idea. It's a lot of um, just really meditations and um, getting in a state of gratitude. Well, thank you all who joined us live. And again, thank you for the great questions. And, you know, there's so much out there to help you. And I, um, you know, I'm happy to have my team. If I didn't answer your question, if you want to email us at info at drchristineschaffner.com, Julia can do her best to point you to the right resources. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all for listening to this webinar that I recently did again on Lyme Innovations. I hope that you learned something new and that you found this insightful. And again, if this is the information that you want to dive deeper in, please join us on the upcoming one-day workshop on Lyme that's coming up very soon on January 30th. And we're even going to have my dear friend Katie Strakosh do breath work and yoga during our lunch break because we will be absorbing all sorts of wonderful information and um, in front of the computer all day. So we thought we would break it up with a wonderful experience of yoga and breath work. All right. Well, I hope I will see you there. And again, please check out more information in the show notes.